0: I'm really excited to be here tonight with you guys. My name is Jared. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Jared. Uh, Sounds like some kind of a meeting uh, or something like that. But the uh, the the opportunity we have tonight is 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 pretty great. Uh, We've been walking through the book of James for three weeks now, uh, diving into these deep, amazing truths, these things to live out and do because of the gospel, and uh, and we're going to keep going through that tonight. Uh, We're going to get through a lot of verses. We have a lot of work to do, but. Uh, before we get into that, I want to talk to you about something uh, really, really serious um, something that may bring up uh, traumatic memories from your childhood. Uh, Andrew put up my first picture here. Uh, some of you guys remember this game called Dodgeball. Um, for some of you just seeing the red ball uh, makes you shudder and shake and think about what it what it felt like to once get blasted in the face by this by this and how harsh the gym teacher was for using that, for that ball. But uh, when I think about dodgeball, it, it, it reminds me of this amazing uh, life lesson I learned from it, not from punishing people in the face with a dodgeball or uh, not from running away uh, very well from it, though I could not do that pretty well. Um, dodgeball taught me something about how we see each other, how we ascribe value to each other, how we... Um, how we decide what benefit we can get from somebody else. Uh, you see, what would happen uh, from the time I was in elementary school to middle school through high school and, believe it or not, through college, uh, I played dodgeball pretty frequently with friends of mine. And uh, when I would come into a new group, or, or new guys were captains, uh, a pretty similar story would happen. Uh, they would look across the, the line. Everybody lines up on the wall, like you'll kind of remember the two captains are out there. and you're, you're, Most people don't want to be picked last. Uh, I actually didn't want to be picked first, uh, partially because what they thought they would see in me is somebody who uh, would be um, pretty good at dodgeball, Uh, quick, agile, maneuverable, coordinated, uh, can throw a ball pretty well, and uh, I'm actually none of those things at all. Um, God gave me uh, some size and a little bit of strength, but... uh, but what these captains would figure out pretty soon uh, after I would get picked early on is that I would get out to the, uh, to the game, whistle would be blown, and I'm usually one of the first couple guys out because uh, I'm the biggest target and I'm very slow to move at things um, when they're coming at my face. So uh, dodgeball taught me something really, really crazy, though. It taught me a lot about how much um, our, our external judgments on one another are often so wrong. Um, and not only are the judgments wrong, but even the motives for why people uh, pick people, so to speak, are often selfish. And and just like, well, I have to show you another picture, by the way, before I break away from that. Uh, th- I, I saw this on the internet, by the way. Before I forget this, who would ever think of doing this as like an evangelistic outreach? This is a dodgeball. <laughs> with the, uh, this is a dodgeball with the phrase "catch the spirit" on it. I have no idea when they wanted somebody to to see these words as they were coming at their face. Uh, I don't know if it was going to be like a, like a Benny Hinn dodgeball thing and they just, you know, the spirit hits them and they just <laughs> fall on the ground. I don't know. Um, but you can take that off. I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. Uh, unbelievable. But, but again, dodgeball just taught me a lot about how much people think they know you from what they see on the outside. And at least how much they want to know you and, and what you're going to bring to the table. What kind of a person you are, what your abilities are. And so... Um, tonight we're gonna get into a lot of passages that uh, maybe don't relate to dodgeball very much thank thank the lord but relates a lot to this thing that we do when we when we look at people and we think that we know what they can bring uh... to us and we think we know who they are we think we know how they're made up based on things only that we see on the outside so open your bibles uh, and turn to james two if you can uh... james two we're gonna make it through 13 verses tonight, I think that's like a record in Matthias's lot history. Uh, the sermon's not going to be two hours, I promise. We're not going to go at normal speed. We're going to have to quicken it up a little bit as we go through. But, uh, but look and uh, consider this as I read the passage. James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man... And shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are not the, they the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, if you are, you're committing sin, you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery also said, Uh, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And then this amazing phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, So put up the first uh, verse here. Verse 1, my brothers, show no partialities. You hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. As we first look at this, we remember that James is writing to people that he would consider brothers, uh, Christians who were once Jewish in the surrounding areas around Jerusalem. And he's writing to them uh, in an endearing way, trying to, uh, trying to exhort them and encourage them to live out the gospel. And so he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this word partiality that he's talking about is, he's talking about showing preference or, or preferring somebody over somebody else, uh, merely based on things that are on the outside, um, not, not looking on somebody's heart and putting them in, in certain categories, but looking at people based on what you see externally and, and then giving them a place because of that, uh, some higher and some lower. And then he says, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. It's almost like he tacks on this phrase in the end here to say that uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, it would have been enough, but he adds the Lord of glory almost to say, uh, this one, Jesus, King Jesus, our Lord, is the only one, to whom honor and glory is due. Uh, no man, especially what uh, solely he shows on the outside. Uh, so moving on to verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, uh, dot, 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 we'll get to the rest here in a second. For uh, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes in, picture this man, picture this guy coming in who, who's wearing nice things. Um, who 's who's wearing a gold ring who 's wearing fine clothing he would He would stand out from most other people in ways he was probably cleaner, probably maybe smelled a little better. Baths were a little different uh, back then so but but this rich man is is coming in he 's wanting to be seen in a certain way and then contrast that with the last half and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in uh, picture the the poor man shabby clothing i don 't know if shabby is a literal translation of the Greek word. I don't know if they walk around talking about stuffy and shabby a whole lot, but, um, but it's a pretty good word that, that, that pops an image in your mind and, and in my mind of somebody who's wearing things that are subpar. Uh, maybe he's got holes in his clothes. Maybe he can't afford better clothes. Maybe he's, maybe he's got holes in his clothes that came from Walmart and not Macy's. Um, this, this guy looks very different than the first guy. So James is painting a scenario to say, okay, Two men walk into a church. It kind of sounds like a joke. It's, it's like James is starting to say something funny. Uh, two men walk into a church, one rich and one poor. And before we go on, we have to, we have to note something because it's really easy to read these verses and to automatically think, well, the, the first guy's sin is that he's rich and the second guy's sin is that he's poor. Um, often, especially in the Gospels, you don't get portrayals of people uh, being called rich or poor uh, accidentally. And there are a lot of people in the Gospels who are rich or who are poor but aren't called that because because the the writers don't want to communicate what what that intends. Usually in the New Testament when somebody's referred to as rich, uh, they're referred to as somebody who's publicly exalted over other people. Uh, Somebody who uh, maybe even got to where they are not by righteous means. Uh, Maybe even stepped on people or took advantage of people to get there. Uh, Maybe have a habit of, of oppressing Other people. You don't read a whole lot about rich people in the Gospels who who are there because they're just the most righteous people ever. There's usually some ill intention that got them there. Uh, And then, likewise, on the other side, poor in the New Testament, especially poor in the Gospels, is often talking about men and women who are lowly, um, who've who've had a need, who recognize that they something's not working in their life. Uh, who recognize that they can't piece everything together as pretty as, as maybe the rich person looks like they are. Um, and it's really important to understand that a poor person in the New Testament doesn't mean lazy. And it doesn't mean that today, but that's often where we go to first. Well, they're poor. Well, it's, it's their fault. And that's not, that's not, I'm not saying that's right today, but it's definitely not what's being used in this case. So this is what we're dealing with so far. So the story starts in this way. And then we keep going in verse 3. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Think about this. You sit here in a good place. There's two things that are being communicated by that. You sit here, which is near to me. A preposition meaning you be near where I am. Uh, in a good place. Either either I'm going to give you a footstool to sit on uh, or, or this place is made better even for me because I'm around you. Um, Or, likewise, uh, while you say to the poor man, moving on, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. So the rich man, he walks in, and and you look at him and say, you come over here, be near me. I I want you to be, you know, I want to be, uh, this is like the posse mentality. You see, like, anytime you see somebody who's like like P. Diddy or something like that, he's always got like a posse around him, right? I'm not going to act like I know you know, P. Diddy's you know life or culture, but I see this on MTV all the time. So, he's always got a posse with him. But, but likewise, a, a poor people usually don't have that. Uh, and and even in what's being said here, you know, the rich man is he's saying, "Come here," but to the poor man, he's seeing "Either you have two options: you can sit over there, uh, you can go over there because I'm here. You can go somewhere that's not by me, um, or you can come near me." He says. Um, Sit down at my feet. You can come near me, but you have to be below me. When people see you, I want them to see that I'm higher than you. So there's this dilemma that's going on when when hypothetically two people are walking in. James probably isn't creating this situation out of nowhere. Uh, He's probably seen this happen before. That's why he's writing to them in this way. In verse 4, James says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not made distinctions within yourselves? He, he's kind of saying, have you not taken a, an even playing field and, and made levels? You've taken one, one flat plane, and, and, you've, and you've, you've, you've created a system, like a ladder, a tier, and there's value that's associated with each one of those. Um, and then he says here in the end of verse 4, you've become judges with evil thoughts. I don't know about you, but I don't walk around on a daily basis thinking about all the ways in which I size people up. I, I don't think about that being evil, but but James, at least, is, is calling it for what it is. This separation from certain people or the gravitation toward other people uh, for your own selfish gain, one way or another, is evil, is wrong. Verse 5, we'll move on. He's already said, my brothers, in verse 1, but verse 5, he says, listen My beloved brothers, come nearer, right? I told you what to do. I told you a situation. Now I'm going to tell you why. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? Uh, Two times in the Gospels, we read uh, Jesus' longest sermon that he gives of the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with the Beatitudes, the very first, um, quality that he talks about, about, about people who belong in God's kingdom, are in Luke, uh, his account, he says, blessed are the poor. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The very, the very first words of Jesus's longest sermon in the New Testament say, blessed are the poor. Um, so we have to ask ourselves this question. So, so poor, um, poor equals rich in faith. Poor equals rich in faith. Why does poor equal rich in faith? Why does a poor person become rich in faith? I, I called um, one of the guys here in the church uh, a little bit ago, uh, named Danny. How many of you guys know Danny, the Scottish guy? He's showing up on iTunes when this goes into the onto the catalog there. But Danny, um, I love just listening to him talk. I just want him to stand up and and just say freedom really loud and <laughs> paint his face. And he just sounds. He'll be in the second service. I'll try not to. Embellished so much. But but I asked him because he, a few weeks ago, was in Haiti. And other people in this church have gone to Haiti. And, and other people have just come back from the Philippines. We have a lot of people in this church who are, who are all around this world seeing and experiencing the church. And uh, so I just asked him, I said, Danny, what was the church like when you were over there? What were believers like when you were around them? Uh, you can imagine what, what we would feel like if we had uh, tr- tr- tremendous earthquakes and horrible natural disasters come through and just wipe everything out. And I said, just wh- what, was the, what was it like to be a Christian over there? What did it feel like to see that? And uh, I, can't, I can't copy his Scottish accent. I've tried it a couple of times. But, but he said something to the effect of, um, it just amazed me. Uh, because for people that had so little, they were all in for God. Or, or God, as he, Or he would say. I mean, so for people who had like next to nothing... I mean, and it couldn't even, they didn't lose their stuff because they were lazy. They lost their stuff because uh, the, the, the world took it. I mean, the earth literally took their stuff. Um, but with what they had, which wasn't very much, he said it was a tremendous thing to see a church united, um, not around their own personal accomplishments, because they all knew that they didn't have anything left, but around their hope that they had in Christ. And so in the end, I guess my, my curiosity with why the why those who are poor in the world are rich in faith uh, are rich in faith because they know that Jesus is all they've got. Uh, it's easy to recognize that maybe soon after you're saved, but as time goes on, it's it's so easy to start counting up all the you know your spiritual bank account. You start to think that you're making more deposits than than God is. But I want to talk about this question going back. Next slide. Uh, why is why is being partial? Why is partiality evil? Talked about it earlier. I walk around all day and, I, and I'm looking at people sizing them up, or people walk in here and it's something that's such a natural reaction. Uh, but James is calling it out to be evil for what it is. Uh, the first reason why it's evil is, is because it hates the people who God loves. Uh, so not only are those who are poor in the world rich in faith, those who are poor in spirit are rich in faith. Um, if I'm excluding somebody, especially like James said in verse, um, in verse 2, when somebody walks into our assembly, uh, for them, it would have been a synagogue or a house church in which they would have walked in. Somebody's walking into to participate in what you've got. And then you walk past one for the sake of being embraced by the other. Uh, you're hating the person that you walk past. God has given them value. God has given them um, honor as, as being children of him, uh, yet you are hating that person by, by putting them in this level. Uh, maybe, maybe you're here with them, but you're putting them right there. Second thing about this: Why is partiality evil? Is it divides the church that is equally united by Jesus' blood? Um, it's it's really easy to to boast in your maturity, um, at least the way you look on the outside. It's easy to boast in the things that you have, um, the lifestyle that you live. And, and though we don't affirm a prosperity gospel, we all of us walk around. You know, we get a nice thing, and you know, oh, you know, praise the Lord. You know, it's, God God gave it to me. It's good. You know, God is good all the time. Mark says that a lot, but all the time God is good. Uh, but, but we act like these things are given to us because we've done something to deserve them. Um, but, but this division in the church, this, these, these levels that we create, th- they're taking people who've been equally united only by Jesus' blood, by, by nothing else that we can boast in, and, and it's saying, well, yeah, you both received Jesus' blood, but but maybe he didn't have to work as hard to save you as he did to save you, so I'm, I'm going to go be by you. I don't know, this partiality issue is, the evilness of it is half the work of seeing why James is writing this. James dedicates half of an entire chapter to this one issue, and not a very long book. So, let's move on. Verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. The word dishonored isn't just some mental, you've thought badly of them, it's, it's synonymous with insulting. He could have said, you've, but you've spat on the poor man. You pushed him away. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court? And in verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the horrible, uh, the honorable? That's a completely opposite word. <laughs> are they not, let's start that over. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Are they not the ones who, who slandered the name by which you were called? Uh, it's, it's this funny... It's this funny situation where and we see this play out a lot in these days where um, wh- where people who are oppressing other people are still embraced because because the people think that there's still something they can gain from them. you know somebody takes advantage of me and and i'll complain about it all day but then but then when I have an opportunity to gain from something by being with them uh, then then I'll, I'll I'll come near to them uh, because it helps me this issue of this partial issue this Issue of preferring some people over others. Uh, judging people externally just based on uh, outside appearances, based on what you look like superficially. Uh, it's not just a rich and poor issue. Right? James is writing this about a, uh, the way they're treating the rich versus the way they're treating the poor. Because that's what they were dealing with. Um, in a place in Jerusalem where people generally look the same, the biggest division was wealth. But for us, it could be a few different things. It could, be, uh, it could be rich and poor. You know, for us, it could be two, two people walking into a church, one rich and one poor. It could be that. Uh, it could be some other things. Two people walking into a church, uh, one elderly and one young. Two people walking into a church, one who comes in with a walker or a wheelchair and one who comes in looking athletic and buff. Two people walk into a church, one who's beautiful by the standards of this culture and one who they wouldn't say was. Two people walk into a church, one family that's like the all-American family, nuclear, mother and father, 2.5 kids. I mean, they look, they've got it together, pressed khakis, even at this church. And then the other family walks in and is broken. A mom or a dad just bringing their kids that they've got for the weekend. Two people walk into a church: one a man, one a woman. Discrimination can go all ways. Two people walk into a church: one black and one white. In the past few months, I've I've never come to hate su- such things like racism as as in times like this. It's it's completely illogical and contrary to what we confess to believe in if we then decide to, though Jesus has shown people mercy by his blood, to turn them away because of something they look like on the outside. It's an issue that we face. So what is the issue for you? It may have been a scenario that I said, two people walking to a church. Um, It may be somebody else and i can't ascribe that for you i can't pinpoint that for you but but this is an issue that we all deal with to prefer somebody and and push past somebody else is contrary to the gospel i'm uh, moving on we're going to look at verse 8 verse 8 so if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture can you hint, can you can you sense the irony in this if you really fulfill the whole law according to uh, the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Talking about Matthew 22, Jesus said, this is, this is all the law and the prophets, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So James is saying, if you really fulfill the royal law, okay, um, you're doing well, you can tune me out. But for the rest of you who struggle with even a piece of this, listen up. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Connecting again this idea that we would be partial to people based on the external uh, qualities alone. It's, it's sinful and it's wrong and it's evil. He said this a few times up till now. But, but then he, he uses this word to, to describe them. He says, if you're doing this, then you're a transgressor. Um, to a Christian, especially to a Jewish Christian who's been brought up with, with a focus on the Mosaic law. There's a huge uh, focus on law-keeping. And to a Jew, there's, there's only two categories that matter. It's not more righteous or less righteous or keep more of the law or keep less of the law. It's, it's you're either a law-keeper or a law-breaker. And a transgressor is a law-breaker. But in verse 10, he says this, but whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable to all of it whoever keeps the whole law but but fails in one point whoever whoever does 99% of the law but but fails in even just one little point even if it's only in your mind you're in a room when no one else is there even if nobody else knows about it you're accountable to all of the law uh, now people who who try to make themselves self-righteous and, and count up the worth of their sin and, and think that they're not doing too bad, that's, that's a pretty scandalous thought. If you fail in one part, you're accountable for all of it, even the parts that, that you haven't done. Verse 11, he says this, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Um, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Uh, he just, two verses ago, had mentioned that, um, that someone who was partial and preferring and stepping over and past other people and hating the poor for the sake of the rich in this case, uh, th- that they were a transgressor. And then um, he, he's saying the same thing uh, with much greater severity. Um, put up the next slide. I like equations, and so this kind of goes together pretty well. Um, so here you go. In verse 9, he said, if you're partial, if you show partiality, you're a transgressor of the law and you're guilty. Okay, so that's statement number one. Uh, Statement number two, if you participate in adultery, okay, if you leave your spouse for another, uh, if you commit murder, you can't get much worse than that. I'm sorry uh, to break that to you. If you commit murder, you're a transgressor of the law and you're guilty. He doesn't use two different words to talk about how bad these people are. Um, So the third slide here, what he's saying is if you're partial to others, in terms of law keeping and law breaking, you're the same as the adulterer or the murderer. You're a transgressor of the law, and you're guilty. The um, we operate on systems that are so different than that, though. I'm not saying that 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 the fruitions of sin are the same. Um, I've never killed somebody. You should know that about me. Um, I've been partial a lot in many ways, but, um, but he, he, here's a good way to say it. If God is walking this way, and, and two people are walking this way, if one person is sprinting ahead with all they've got, call them like Adolf Hitler, he's like running as fast as he can, and this guy is just walking, like slow enough to just be under the radar to where people wouldn't catch him. Uh, they may be going at different speeds, but both of them are walking opposite the way where God is. And so we, it, it, it points me back to this amazing truth that I appreciate that this church stands for very much. And uh, it's just this, the world is, um, that we live in is not made up of good people and bad people. Uh, the world around us is made up of Jesus and people who need His grace. Um, I'm uh, anybody in here pretty particular about their driving. Uh, any hands, men or women, uh, it's it goes both sides of the aisle. Um, so I I drive a lot, and uh, I don't consider myself an expert in driving by any means. I've been in accidents, I've had tickets, all that good stuff. But I, I take pride in what I do. I, I feel like I I'm, I'm on the road a lot. I get it. I'm around a lot. Well, uh, my wife and I when we drive around. Um, she's very observant in general, which is one of the good reasons why God gave uh, her to me. But um, she notices uh, a lot of things, uh, not just the good things I do when I drive. Uh, what What are some of the things that, some of the things you don't want to hear when you're driving in the car? Just yell them out. Slow down. Right? Slow down. <laughs> what are some other ones? Well, watch out. You may want to listen to that one, though. Some, <laughs> that's, um, so, so, when you're driving, though, and when I'm driving, at least, I-, I can get in the zone. I can get in, like, you know, I'm doing my thing. You know, I'm I'm, I'm paying attention, 10 and 2 mirrors and all that stuff. Uh, but but a few weeks ago, I was driving in, in the, the middle of the road, or not the middle of the road. I was driving on the right side of the road, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I can, I'm confusing my, my details here. Um, but I'm driving down the road. Uh, Sarah's in the car with me. Um, and she's very <laughs> gracious to me. She's not She's not, you know, mean or anything like that. But but at one point she she looked over and she just said, "Why are we stopped?" And I look up and I'm stopping at a stop sign that's not there. <laughs> so I'm, I look over and I stop. And you know you know when a stop sign there's like a, a a diagonal road that comes in and it V's in and and you think it's your stop sign but then you realize it's not. Well, that's that was my situation. <laughs> and so uh, instead of you know being like, "Oh man, well shoot, I I, I guess I just didn't see it." Um, well, guess what I did. Uh, well, that, that thing—that thing's pointed too wrong, you know. Or, or, or I'm, I start like pointing the finger at all the all the self-justifying reasons why, if you were in my spot, you would have done it too. Um, but I, I pride myself on something uh, when I'm when I take in these uh, these helpful, um, constructive criticisms. That's that's a good word uh, for it. When I when I when I hear these, um, I don't always respond the best way. I don't always feel the best way. Uh, sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I get frustrated. And, and, and if they're unaddressed for a long period of time, then I just will keep harboring and build, building the snowball of, of just frustration in the car. Some of you guys are, like, holding hands right now tighter, and, and I'm just looking around and seeing some of the body language is like, oh, honey, I, you know, I'm, he's not talking about you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but I do this thing where I, I, I'm so, you know, focused on what... Um, on, on, on how angry I am yet I, I pride myself on not showing it on the outside so uh, in my opinion you know I'm I'm, I'm I'm driving down the road I'm just you know I'm staying cool uh, maybe a little steam coming out the year but I'm, but I'm I don't look any different uh, but if you but somehow Sarah can spot it every time I must be thinking I'm like this but really I'm just like like going crazy <laughs> like Jim Carrey the mask face like going <laughs> going nuts um, but in those moments uh, I'm, I'm. instead of just repenting and, honey, I'm sorry, I really didn't need to be like that. Um, I I look at all the ways in which I think, yeah, okay, maybe that's not the best attitude to have. Maybe that's not the best way to be. But at least I'm not like the guy I saw last week at the park who berated his wife in front of everybody else. Um, in a weird way, what I've just done is, is I've taken my issue, which is bad enough, and and I I coat it over with sugar just to make it seem better when I compare it to somebody else's. So I, I I take myself and I take this other guy, and I look at what he's doing. And and as long as he's done something, I feel like it's worse than I'm putting him under here, for the sake of where I'm at. I I'm, I'm counting up my victories and um, and, and actually rejoicing in the end that that he screwed up more than I did. Churches that are built upon that. Instead of rejoicing and encouraging one another in our victories, we end up rejoicing silently more over each other's failures because it makes us feel better about where we're at. And so this, this, this fight, this work to not, to not be like that guy is this, is this Pharisee heart that's, that's inside all of us. And so I'll just I'll throw it out there. You don't have to yell this out. Please don't yell this out, actually. Um, but, you know, what is it, what is it for you? There's some act of, of self-justification that's probably going on in your life right now. Something you're thinking, something you're saying, something that, that, that you're doing when, when others aren't around, something that you're doing um, in hiding from somebody who you know should probably know what you're doing. Uh, but, but instead of just confronting it and saying, you know what, yep, I'm, I mean, I'm a transgressor. I, I am a lawbreaker. I don't have all my stuff put together. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're looking at somebody else within this church or a friend or a family member and just saying, well, at least I'm not like them. And there's, no better else, there's no better place to be. So let's move on. Last two verses. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Uh, he, he, the repetition of so, so speak and so act, you know, as a result, speak and act, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Last week, Mark talked a lot about this idea that, uh, th- that obedience to God on the basis and on the enablement of the Spirit and by the atonement of Christ's blood, obedience to God is actually a freeing thing, not a condemning thing. Uh, we were made originally, before sin came into the world, to live in fellowship and do what pleases Him and have a relationship back and forth. And uh, so this law of liberty is, is we're freed up when we're saved, in order to be able to please God. Human freedom that a Christian provides is not some autonomous, independent, well, you can go be who you want to be now that you're saved. You're freed up, released from the shackles of sin so that you can cling to God and obey Him. In verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to, to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, for judgment without mercy is is without mercy to one who's shown no mercy. He's not saying here that, um, and this is the fight in the book of James. You can't take something he's saying and saying, well, if I'm merciful, then that means God will see what I'm doing and then be merciful to me. We're not the initiators of this whole action. God is the one who, who is initiating his grace first. Um, and then we respond all throughout our lives uh, with that. We show on the outside, this is the biggest thing that's been haunting me as I'm as I'm going back to read things like the Sermon on the Mount in the recent couple days, is just how much my heart is disconnected from what Jesus is saying, do this and, and you'll live. So based on how you're living, based on how I'm living on the outside, it's showing, it's indicating what we have going on on the inside. And then this last phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment. The word is, um, for, for triumph here is, it's synonymous with something that's outweighing something else or boasting over something else. Uh, a few things I want to say about mercy here, just to, just to switch this up. So mercy, from this statement, from verse um, 12 and 13, a failure to show it can indicate that you haven't received it. A failure to show mercy can indicate that you haven't received it. And there's two ways that this works out. One is, if, if you never ever received the mercy of the Lord, the true mercy, mercy in its most pure form, if you've never received that, then how can you even know what to do? Uh, it's not something that even registers on your radar. The world around us, though it seems like it does at times, does not boast in in humbling oneself for the sake of, of, of exalting another, of showing somebody else mercy when they're in need. So if you've never received it, you just don't know what to do. And another thing I appreciate about this church is we... Reiterate over and over again why 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 do we hold non-Christians to standards that you would need the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill? Um, second thing about mercy here. Um, actually, put that back off real quick. Sorry. Uh, the first thing back was about mercy is that if if you've never received it, then you just don't know what to do with it. The second thing is about this uh, about mercy. A failure to show it can indicate that you haven't received it. Maybe maybe you did receive mercy. Uh, one time. Maybe, maybe you are saved. I'm not. Maybe I'm not doubting your salvation. Maybe I'm not doubting that you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Um, if you're sure in that, but maybe, uh, maybe right when you were saved, it's it's all you could talk about was how merciful God was toward you. Maybe, maybe when you woke up, that's just what you thought about. Maybe when you went to sleep, that's just what you your mind kept going back to you because it was so new and so fresh. But as most of us know, months and uh, years, sometimes decades, can go by. And, and slowly, over time, uh, the lie can creep in that you didn't need as much mercy to be saved. That God saved you, but, but you really weren't too bad anyway. He came to you because you were one of the good ones. And so, maybe, maybe you're not showing mercy uh, because it's not something that you're actively remembering now. Second thing about this, put this back up here about mercy. From verse 13, it will be greater than judgment for those who have shown it. Again, we're not showing mercy to earn something better in the end, but um, but, but if our outward actions, if my hands and my mind and my mouth and everything are doing, um, living out what I believe on the inside, then, then I'm proving myself to be somebody who has been shown this mercy. Uh, and on the last day, the the weight of judgment will be eclipsed by the weight of mercy for me and for you if you're in Christ. In the end, I can, I can try to think of some story, read something in Reader's Digest to, you know, to wrap this up and to bring you into it, but, uh, but I can't do that. The best thing I can do is to, um, is to turn to another story. Uh, so in Luke 10, Jesus um, said it best when he said this. And behold, a lawyer, an expert in the law, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? You know, you're the expert. And he, the the lawyer, said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And that was his answer. But the lawyer comes back, right? Verse verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, desiring to justify himself, he's not asking who is my neighbor so that he can pinpoint who he should go serve. He's saying who is my neighbor so that he can figure out everybody that he can get away with not serving. And Jesus replied in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You get this idea that the priest, the one who should be the one to stop, um, goes to the other side of the road and passes by on the other side. Uh, Verse 32, So likewise, a Levite, a royal priest, right? When he came to that place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. The same thing. He walked away from him and distanced himself and acted like he wasn't there. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. Yes, the most hated people of, of the Israelites at the time. But a Samaritan, a lowly, lowly, un-dirty a dirty person. That's what they would have thought of him. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound him up. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil, and wine, he gave him the finest things to get better. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. In order to set somebody on your own animal, unless you're driving like a limo camel, <laughs> right, you've got to get off and give up your spot. So he gives up his spot and he walks alongside the rest of the journey until they get to the end. And by the way, as they're passing other people and other people seeing the Samaritan walk as the, as the man who was beaten is laying on his, on his animal, Uh, You know the one they're thinking is the slave? uh, Is the Samaritan. Because slaves and servants were the ones who walked by the horse when he rode. In verse 35, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. He's saying, heal him. Right? And whatever it takes to heal him, it it doesn't matter what the cost is. It doesn't matter what his debt is. I'll pay it. I'll cover it. I'll do whatever it takes to, to make sure that this man is healed. Verse 36, Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell uh, among the robbers? Verse 37, he, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and and do likewise. James would have been around to to hear stories like this. James, the brother of Jesus, would have been around to, to see Jesus not just teach things like this, but but to walk up to a temple and to pass by the Pharisee and to go right for the cripple laying by the, by the healing pool. He would have seen him push away the one who who, knew, who who didn't think that he was even sick and go right for the, the most sick people of the day. And there's two ways that, that we can take on this story. There's two ways that we can interpret this Good Samaritan uh, story here. Uh, number one is that Jesus is saying, yes, like here the, the Samaritan is a good example. Go... Uh, See this amazing thing that he's done. You go and do likewise. But if you read this story, over and over and over and over again, if you don't stop reading it, and if you try to figure out in the story what character you are, you don't want to be the priest. You don't want to be the Levite. Those are the fall guys who, who who don't do what's right. You're not even the Samaritan. When you consider what the blind, what the beggar who was laying by the side of the road really was. You see that that was you. You were laying there helpless and, and unable to, to help yourself, unable to get up, unable to go help yourself to get better. And then you saw a priest going by, and you thought, oh, yes, thank you, a priest. Maybe I'll be good now. And then he walks away and walks past. A Levite, the same thing. Maybe a Levite will help me. He's supposed to. And then he turns away and walks past. But then, when you've given up all hope, this unlikely man, a Samaritan, walked toward you, pursued you, poured oil and wine on you, took you to the end, paid your debt, and you were healed. You see, th- this is our story. This whole call to be merciful, this this whole thing James is saying to to, to, to not be partial, to value all people on an equal playing field, regardless of what they look like on the outside. God values them all the same, and so should you. Um, it's, it's, it's not just disconnected commands. All of this is sown in and rooted in the fact um, that we've first been shown mercy. And so our call to show mercy should be easy. Why don't you guys stand? I just wonder how much we come together to do this thing, you know, to do this, this Christian thing, to sing some songs, put on some clothes that look better, that look cool, that look, make us look better to other people. and um, Just how far our priorities are, are just skewed. How far we want to be seen as the rich man, though the command is to die to ourselves. Pray with me. Father, I pray, that, um, I pray that you would bring a change in our hearts show us your mercy again. If, if we've never tasted it, Father, would you, would you show us mercy tonight for the first time? And if we've tasted your mercy, if we've forgotten how good it tastes, would you remind us of where we were at when you found us? You picked us up. You healed us. You bound us up. It didn't matter what we did. You, you brought us to yourself and made us whole. As you send us out, Father, into this world, as people even come into these doors in this church, help us to see all people the way that you would see them. Father, change our hearts.